How do we live freely under God? How do we embrace our past and discover a deeper connection to ourselves, to God and to others? Hello, hi, and welcome to the God's Story podcast. I'm Brent Siddle. Our guest on the show this time is Carrie Garcia, a pastor, author, and CEO who shares her journey to inspire change in others. And I quote, despite facing struggles such as drug addiction and the suicide of her mother, Carrie emerged victorious through her faith in Jesus Christ. Carrie founded Freedom Movement, a nonprofit addressing issues of brokenness and pain, and authored The Exchange, a nine-week course for those seeking hope and healing. Carrie is a pastor, licensed life coach and CEO, and I don't know how she does it all. And uh, she's, <laughs> she's her new book from Zondervan in the States is called Free and Fully Alive, Reclaiming the Story of Who you were created to be. It's a great read. Carrie joins me now on Zoom from the States. Carrie, hi to you. Hi, it's so good to be with all of you. And it's a pleasure uh, for us to have you with us. It's great. Now, uh, you start the book, if I remember correctly, with this wonderful picture, which intrigued me of this uh, little girl dancing on the stage, feeling absolutely uninhibited. And I suppose the story is one of being, can I put it like slowly beaten down, uh, Mm -hmm. like most of us over the years. How do you think we can all reclaim the story of who we were meant to be? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a process, right? And the reason why I start the book with that story is because I I want all of the readers to kind of think back and recapture. There were moments in your life where you really did feel like just fully alive, just how you, there was no malice, there was no practice, there was no thinking through it, you just showed up as you were. And the reason why I start the book with that is because I want the reader to to have a moment of thinking back. Who was I? What were the things that made me come alive? What was my life like before this place of kind of shalom, if you will, or the places of goodness began to shatter around me? And so really when you ask the question of how do we begin to reclaim, I think we have to go back to be able to go forward. We really need to look where some of those places, where the the little one in us, whether guy or girl, the little one in us began to believe that that little one showing up authentically, that that was either gonna be harmed or mocked or ridiculed or abandoned. And so we had to create uh, behaviors to stop that little one from shining like that and to move into places where we could feel safe so we wouldn't get hurt. And I believe that God wants us to go back and reclaim some of that territory. Absolutely. Um, I think it's terrible what society does to to people over the years, beats the talent out of them. It's atrocious. Mm-hmm. Uh, you write, I love this quote, I was taught that God wants us to live freely, but I never, never understood what that kind of freedom meant or felt like. Now, why was that? Well, I grew up as a pastor's kid. I'm a third generation pastor. So I know a lot, if you will, about scripture, right? Like this, I knew how to memorize it. My dad has a theology, a doctorate in theology. And so when I would ask a question about the Bible, he would tell me the Greek or the Hebrew and ask me to study it. So I knew a lot. Here's what I think I find interesting for a lot of believers. We read that scripture, the God, you know, God wants you to have life and have it to the full. John 10, 10. And I think what we settle for is God wants you to have life. Like, okay, I came to know Jesus. I have this life, but abundant becomes this, you know, superfluous kind of 
languaging? Like, does that really, what does that really mean? And what does that really look like? And for me, I looked at a lot of, if I just did the right behaviors, if I just, you know, went to church or, you know, did a good Bible study or went to youth group or whatever it was, then eventually I would get this abundant life. But to be honest with you, I didn't really know what that meant. What did it mean to have abundant life? And if I'm being honest, around me was two different worlds. That was a Sunday world where we showed up to church on Sunday and came in our Sunday best. My dad preached a good message. But then I went home to a life where my mom struggled with eating disorders, mental health issues. My dad was kind of off doing ministry. And abundance felt more like performance then it really felt like connection to my heart or to the pains in which I was feeling. So this was a lot of confusion for me. What uh, do you think is true biblical freedom? And um, how does true biblical freedom differ from worldly freedom? Yeah, great question. I mean, here's the deal. The moment that you accept Jesus, we know that we are justified, covered by the blood. We are now free, no longer slaves. That is biblical truth. And then one day when we die, God forbid, you know, soon, long from now, we will stand before God and we will be in a glorified body. Glorification happens. But we have this in-between process between the moment we got saved and the moment that we get glorified. It's called our sanctification process, right? Paul talks about in the process of being saved. And so I really began to learn that freedom, freedom in essence was when I accepted Jesus, but I really wanted that and fully alive life to encounter me before I had to get to heaven. And that's where I started to learn that freedom wasn't the absence of pain. It was actually the presence of God in my pain on this side of heaven that begins to produce a more free and fully alive life, not because we've eradicated pain, but we've been able now by the presence of God to hold both grief and gratitude in the same breath, if that makes sense. It does indeed, yes. And uh, you you write quite a bit about the enemy. Um, I'm loath to give him any airtime at all, but right. uh, we, we need to deal with this, I think. In what ways do you think the enemy attacks our stories? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and here's the thing. I agree with you, and yet also I think we've done such a disservice in Big C Church to not actually speak about, you know, I was always scared that the enemy was like kind of working through rated R movies and Ouija boards and haunted houses. And yes, very much there, but... To be honest with you, he works more insidiously in the particularities of our story. You see, the enemy can sniff out goodness. He doesn't know the plans God has for you, but he does know goodness. And he wants to eradicate goodness through stealing and killing and destroying. And he does that by seeing your goodness, just like the little girl that danced on the stage Man, he was like, if I let that little girl grow up and be fully who she was created to be, she'll rattle hell. She'll expose me. And he was right. And the truth is, is that is true for all of us. We were born and created in the image of God. And when he snuffs out, sees that goodness and that glory, he does everything he can to partner against you and to be able to silence you in your giftings and your abilities so that you are not used to the full capacity. And this is why we've got to pull back the and begin to go where he is unnamed and unchallenged in the particularities of our story. Mm. Here's a question for you, Carrie. How do we each reclaim our childlike sense of wonder? Ah, such a good one, right? I mean, first, I believe that first, 
we actually have to see where it was stolen before we can actually have it be reclaimed, right? We have to go back and see, okay, well, what am I believing? Where was it taken? Grieve that with the power of the Holy Spirit. Grieve what has happened to us. And we've we've become master at minimizing our stories. And, oh, well, I don't have that big of a story. So, you know, surely the enemy hasn't done anything with me. You bear the image of God. Therefore, you're a target, period, all of us, right? And so in order to claim that childlike wonder is to really go back and claim where it was stolen so that it can be recaptured and claiming that childlike wonder, to be honest with you, is finding the ability to play, to create, and to desire again, partnered with God. Yes, quite a large part of the book, if I remember rightly, deals with um, uh, tra- trauma in the U- it's pronounced in the US, trauma in, in New Zealand or mm-hmm. the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. can, we de- can we deal with some of the unpleasant stuff for a bit, please? But how do yeah. you how do you suggest that people deal with painful memories or the trauma in mm-hmm. their lives that's taken away this childlike sense of joy and this creativity? Yeah, well, I think first we have to define and understand what trauma is. Trauma, in layman's terms, is any time you've experienced powerlessness. So as a globe, we went through trauma for two years with the COVID pandemic, right? That was where we felt powerless. Trauma does a lot to our bodies our minds and our spirits. And so in order for us to really go back and heal some of those places, we first have to understand that we have, let's let's even the playing field. We have all experienced trauma. Trauma is not always big T trauma. It's any time we've experienced trauma. And let me just define this really quickly. Trauma always needs comfort and care for it to move through the body and process rightly. We're all gonna experience traumatic events, but if it's not met with comfort and care, it gets embedded, stuck, if you will, in the body. And in order for, the Bible says in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted because God knows if you want blessing, resurrection in your life, first you must mourn so that you can be comforted. God was not only speaking spiritually, but he knew biologically, physiologically, that trauma needs comfort for it to process through the body. So we really do need to go look Where are the places, whether big T or little T, where I felt powerless when I was younger? And can I bring those before the Lord and start to examine how did that make me feel? And how did that create behaviors in my life that are currently affecting me today? Yeah. How have you used, you write about your use of food as a distraction through your life. How, how, how does that work? How did that work? Yeah. Well, I've used a lot of things as distraction from drugs to food to ministry, right? And food is just... We'll talk about ministry in a minute because that's really key too, but carry on. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I went from drugs to really helping, like fixating on my body. The bottom line is food just became another behavior modification to numb the places of my heart where I was hurting, looking for things so that I didn't have to feel the pain of my past rather than the heart transformation that God wanted to give me. I settled for what I call in the book, a cycle of false freedom, producing all these behaviors to try to mitigate the pain of my past. We all do it. We all do it. And food happened to be one of those. But the problem wasn't food, right? That was the outcome of places of brokenness that had not been tended to that stuck trauma in my life. You write one of the hardest cycles I have had to break um, this is a quote, I think. You write that, yes, one of the hardest cycles I've had to break was that of ministry. 
Now, I thought that was really key and important. Why was that? Why was ministry, a, why did ministry turn into a false freedom for you or a sort of false freedom? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I, When growing up, I saw that to love God was to perform for God, but we were never honest about what was happening in our home. So when I got off drugs, I thought, I know in order to feel better and to get better, I'll perform my way to my salvation. I will earn my way through the applause of man. And to be honest with you, it did fill part of my heart for a while until just like drugs and food and everything else, it actually became an idol. Ministry became the behavior modification I did to take the place of heart transformation, to not have to feel the pain of my past. I used ministry as a salve instead of Jesus. Mm. And I, th- I see it all the time. Mm. Oh, so do I, for sure. I could really, and f- I, I, I could really relate to what you what you wrote. Absolutely. Okay, how do we go about breaking these cycles of false freedom then? Yeah, I mean, in the book, we definitely go down to the to a lot. We break this down quite a bit, but I'll give you the three pillars. The three pillars of what we start with is connection to self. Where am I really? It's time to get honest with ourselves. Like we can't actually come to God, knock and the door opens, seek, and then you find, right? We the, the prodigal didn't run to the father because of the four spiritual laws. He came to the father because his belly was hungry. There was an honesty about where he was. So the first one is it's time to get honest, connection to self. The second one is then to invite God into the heartache in which you are feeling. The truth is, is that this whole narrative of just give it to God is silly. It's not even biblical. Jesus left the throne to enter into the story, the great incarnation. And this is true of everything that we've experienced. And the third one, and I believe part of the completion of our healing per what the scripture says, is really connection to others, inviting others, a trusted friend, a trusted voice, a trusted few into those stories of harm and heartache to where it can be tended to and the the embedded stuck places of trauma and heartache move through our body with comfort and care. And then the result truly is blessing. Yeah. What's a biblical, a biblical grief response? You write about, you write a lot about grief as well. How do we respond to grief biblically? Yeah. I mean, well, look what Paul says in second Corinthians chapter seven, verse uh, seven, I think something like 10, maybe uh, he says, I am so thankful that this this uh, letter brought you grief, not to hurt you, but to move you towards salvation. Because truly, grief, godly grief, will move you towards hope and salvation, but worldly grief will move you to despair. And the difference is we see it modeled in the garden. Jesus, in his full humanity and full deity, full God person, comes before God. Is there any other way? crying tears of blood. I'm so thankful for that passage in scripture because as he comes three times, bringing the heartache before God, not sugarcoating it, pretending it's not there, but bringing it before God allows God's presence. Even though he came three times, it didn't happen one the first time. He keeps lamenting and lamenting. And it's in that moment, even though they kept that moment private, we don't know what God said to him because some things are just left private. But in that moment, God gave him the ability to do the unthinkable and walk through the unimaginable. And it is grief in the presence of God that can move us to hope and freedom, goodness and gratitude, and truly our calling. How have you found God working 
in you over the years to deal with all the hurts and the trauma? Personally, for my life or well, for yes, others? Yes, yes, both, both personally and for <laughs> others. Yeah, I mean, it's to be honest with you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to de- beat a dead horse here, but it was when I allowed myself to grieve, to really name like the heartache. It wasn't just like my mom committed suicide and now this can be a testimony for God. It was never supposed to be this way. We were actually made for Eden. We were not made to bear the heartache in which we do. Um, and yet God wants to meet us in it. It's It was that understanding that has helped me work through. I just started crying the other day about my mom being gone. I've worked through it so many times and for so many years, but I'm human. And God, it's, it's not like God's like, you need to have more faith. He goes, of course your heart breaks because it was never supposed to be this way. And it was it's in his beauty that he meets me in that grief and restores me because his mercies begin to be new every morning. And I've learned a lot about that. And for others, it's been really learning how to hold a story without trying to fix people, without trying to rush them to resurrection before letting them taste death and burial. If it wasn't okay for Jesus, it's not okay for them. We need to walk in the path of Jesus. And so I've learned to be able to hold people's stories with kindness and care, being slow and offering that place for mourning and comfort And I've watched the Holy Spirit transform hearts, moving out of that behavior modification and into that heart transformation. Yes, it can be a long, slow process, I know. Um, uh, Why does asking God to show us our story take courage, do you think? Well, think about it. I mean, things are painful, right? We just want to kind of lock it up in a little box and go, okay, I accepted Jesus. Like we take that scripture out of context that Paul says, like, behold, I am a new creation. I've let go of the old. I've pressed into the new. But he's actually not talking about his story there. He's talking about his focus and his purpose, if you if you read that in context. And so the beauty of this is that when we allow those places to be held, we healed. The problem is it's painful and we want to avoid pain, but we're living out these places of grief in our life, whether we name it or not, I think it's really important to understand that it takes more energy to push down the pain and ignore it, which you're really not ignoring it, than it does to actually do the courageous acts of going, I'm going to bring this before the Lord because this cannot rule the way I love, lead, and listen anymore. We have to bring it to the forefront, but we don't want to do it because it's hard. And yet we are stuck in a cycle of false freedom. And so the courageous part is going, Will you be brave enough to turn and look at the places that have kept you stuck so that the Holy Spirit can begin to set you free? Yeah. Is it important to create healthy connections? It's essential. We are wired for healthy connection. But remember, we will bond with whatever we put in front of us. So your smartphone, whatever you're looking at on the Internet, you'll bond with whatever you put in front of you the most. So we want to really take a look at what connections are we making that are healthy to differentiate between the health, the connections that we're making that are unhealthy. And that can be hard because some of those connections that are unhealthy might even be with your family of origin, might even be with your church community. It might not be a healthy place for you. And so it's really asking those questions. I need healthy connection, health and community. Am I actually in it? And that is an important question to ask. For sure. Can we, can we ever release our past, do you think? Just let it go? Well, no. I don't think that we can. I don't see this psycholo- I don't see this in science. I don't think see this psychologically. And I actually don't see it modeled with scripture. What I see is a Jesus with a resurrected body who is still bearing his scars. The difference is when we do this work, what had power over you before 
when submitted and under, uh, brought before the Lord and allowed to be tended to, it no longer has the power it used to have. But we will never, it will never be okay. I don't want to live in a world where it's okay that my mom committed suicide. I don't want to live in a world where, you know, sexual abuse is okay. That's not going to happen. But the, but what God is saying is that the scars tell the story. We will never forget the event, but the embedded stuck power that it's had over you, that's what gets to move through your body. That's what gets to process through. That's what gets to get healed. We still have the traumatic event, but it no longer has the power it used to have. There's a shift in that power. Mm. Mm. So I say we don't overcome our story. We actually learn to embrace it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. You also write about, and I love this part of the book too, being thankful for our blessings. It reminded me of um, uh, my former pastor I worked for who would always say every Christmas or New Year, he would sit down on New Year's Eve with his wife and they would go through all the blessings that they'd had during the year and then they'd pray for the year to come and the sorts of things they'd like to happen. So how can we be, how can we be thankful for yeah. our blessings. I mean, this is this is the good part of the work, right? We do all this grieving. We do all this naming. We sit and we look at our life in the whole. We stop kind of lying because the, the truth sets us free. Then we got to tell the truth. And we do all of this work. And here's what I believe supernaturally. I'm not talking about man-made. I'm talking about supernatural gratitude begins to rise because in your darkest, hardest places, you were cared for. You were loved. You were welcomed back just like the prodigal. Welcome back to the party. You were pursued like the older brother who was, hey, man, I want you to come back in. When you've experienced that kind of love, gratitude just begins to overtake you. You can't believe there's a God that sees everything and loves you. And this is where I think it's so important. We can't get to gratitude through the spiritual encounter if we actually aren't understanding where we're loved. Think about being loved in your most ugliest, hardest, heartbreaking place when you were met with that kind of love and cared for, it's a kind of gratitude that you can't even manufacture. It's from God. And so my point is when we've done this work, we actually get the power to focus on looking back in our story and seeing, yeah, there was harm, but there was goodness too. God showed up in good places. And I have many of those marked moments where God was good, even in the midst of harm, but I had to see the harm so that I could go and see the good. You write too about godly desire, and I liked this um, part of your book. What is what is godly desire, and how does it work? Yeah, I mean, God is a God of desire. He is a God. I mean, think about how God writes his scripture. It is intimate. It is relational. This is not a science book. This is not a cold fact book. This is like, I mean, I love the Old Testament because it's God parenting crazy teenagers, basically. And he's just getting frustrated and he keeps loving them and going back. And I love that because it shows his desire in the midst of these human kind of like emotions. They're God emotions, but we bear his image. And I think what the enemy does is he wants to kill desire because out of desire is really where hope comes from. When we can desire for a better world, when we can desire for a better story or for reconciliation, that desire for that, that desire to create something new on the land, to leave a legacy, to 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 know that the things that we've been hurt in, we can help others maybe not be hurt in. That desire begins to grow. And when that grows, so does hope. And hope cannot, like, like uh, shame cannot withstand the glory of hope. And hope is the essence of God. 
It is the mm. essence of God. So desire is, ah, oh, it's everything. It's so good. Final question, Carrie. At least I think it's the final question. I never can tell sometimes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do you think you've reclaimed this, that story of the little girl, you dancing on the stage all those years mm. ago? Do you think you've managed to reclaim through this process something of the joy and freedom that you once experienced? Oh, yes. I wouldn't have wrote. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I don't think I'd be able to do this work if, if I had it. Now, am I complete? No. But there was a moment, I write about it in the book, where I was standing on the stage and it was this holy, sacred moment where I realized I am actually here with full delight, with full desire, without any need to perform. It's just me and God dancing on that stage again. And there was so much freedom. In fact, in the audiobook, I begin to cry because I felt it, that moment of God being faithful to complete what he begins. This journey isn't you willing your way to freedom. It's surrendering your story before him. And he is faithful to reclaim that story because he created you for such goodness. So yes, I do feel that. And it wasn't the last question because there's one more, uh, which I've <laughs> just popped into my head. What do, you, what do you say to someone who's listening to this podcast who's really struggling either with grief, trauma in their life, mm -hmm. uh, traumatic memories? What's your advice? What's your advice to someone who's listening who's really just feeling it? Yeah, don't fake any of it. Bring all of it to the Lord. I give you First Kings chapter nineteen, Elijah crying out to God and honestly, very angry with him. I've been zealot for you, Lord, where are you? You know, and in God's goodness, in his yelling out, he offers him cake <laughs> and water. And not only does he offer it one time, but he offers cake twice because, you know, seconds are holy. So I would say to you right now, wherever you are, don't, if you are hurting at a level 10, don't bring it like it's a level two to the Lord. Bring it. The one thing Elijah did right was he didn't stop talking to God and he brought all of it. And that's where we begin in honesty. This is where I'm at, Jesus, help me. And would you be there with me? Uh, we're not gonna pretend anymore. We're gonna get real honest. And it's there that God's gonna invite us into the very next step, but that's where we begin. That's what I love about the scripture. It's so raw, very um, very un-English, very un-Kiwi, uh, very, <laughs> very, um, very Mediterranean, very raw and real and emotional. Fabulous stuff. Yes. Carrie Garcia, pastor, author, and CEO. And the book from Zondervan is called Free and Fully Alive, Reclaiming the Story of Who You Were Created to Be. Get a copy. It's fabulous. I learned much from it. Uh, Carrie, thank you so much for your time. My honor. The honor is all mine. Thank you so much. No, the honor's ours. Uh, and th thanks to our, and let's mention our sponsor. Thanks to yeah. our, and thanks to our creative team at Liquid Edge who sponsor this podcast and who take care of things behind the scenes. It's such a cool name, Liquid Edge. I don't know where he mm -hmm. came up with that, but it is. Okay. Thanks so much, Carrie. Yes. Thank you. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.